0: ...out of this little pulpit. I think Paul had one like this. That's why he could travel so much and carry it with him. Tyler's not here. He's up in Denver. And if you heard the click, I got a remote that locks all the doors so you people can't leave. You're, You're stuck here. Susan's going to Taiwan on Tuesday. She tried to get a flight out yesterday... No one I was preaching today, but she couldn't do it. I uh, I want to introduce a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, Rich Young. I met Rich about 32 years ago, in my office building. He's a CPA, and he uh, we got to be good friends, been friends ever since. And uh, Rich has been my accountant, and if you don't think miracles happen, he kept me out of the poorhouse. <laughs> and that was saying something. So every year he kept me out of the poorhouse. And he's been a dear friend. And I, let me tell you a story. <clears throat> so, oh, by the way, he's probably the best CPA this side of the Mississippi River. Now, I don't know what's on the east side of the Mississippi River, but this one. And I'll tell you, I can tell you why. i tell you why. He invited me to go fishing. And he took me up to the Green River by Vernal, Utah. It's green, or what they call it, gold metal water. And so we went up fishing. Now, accountants are supposed to be able to count, right? That's the name. Well, we caught so many fish, he lost count. And I'm telling you what, when anybody takes me fishing and we lose count, of them, that's the best accountant you'll ever find in your life, right there. But more than that, For the last 30 years, over a pile of tax forms or in my office, we got to talking about the Lord. And we talked about the Lord almost every time. Now we're both retired. And we talk about the Lord over coffee. And we've had more prayers in the seat of his truck or mine than you could count. So right there is a wonderful man. I want you to know that. It means a lot to me. <clears throat> Most people don't come when I'm preaching. He came when i was preaching. I really that. Um, uh, Today we're going to be talking about um, uh, like father, like son. If you got that slide. I want to uh, talk about, we're, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount and Tyler's up with the wrestling group up there, and he uh, he wanted to be up there, and he asked if I'd preach, and he said, we're preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and I said, hey, that's, that's pretty easy preaching. I'll tell you something, though. The one thing I, I really don't like in life is when I hear the State of the Union address, and the president's telling everybody how great they're doing and how great he's doing, and then there's a commercial, and then the announcer or the news guy comes on and tells me what I just heard. I don't like that. I just heard it. You don't have to tell me. But now I find myself in a situation that I'm preaching on a sermon. I'm preaching on something you guys have probably heard a million times. But I want to get to this, and it's, it's going to be <clears throat> a, little bit, a little bit deep today. We're going to get off into some deep water here. <clears throat> and so let's go to our Father in Prayer, and then we'll... We'll get going. <clears throat> Father, I, uh, I humbly ask that you would bless <clears throat> each one of us to hear your words, <clears throat> that they have an effect on us, that we can become the people that you desire, <clears throat> that we can grow into the likeness of you. And we pray, Father, that uh, throughout the whole church, that people that are worshiping you today would get to see you for what you really are. And somehow we could get to love you more and more, even though you're uh, not with us right now. Please fill our hearts with your spirit. Help me today in a humble way to teach your word. In Christ we pray, amen. The Civil War had been going on for about six months. Lincoln saw all the casualty reports piling up on his desk. He had lousy generals. And during the day, it was miserable for him. And at night, it was worse. So he decided to take his aid and go to church. They went to the Presbyterian church the National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. They walked there, by the way. They sat in the back, and the, uh, the sermon went on and on. He left. And the aide, and they were walking back to the White House, and the aide said, What did you think of that sermon? And Lincoln goes, That was a well thought out sermon. And he said verses that I really liked. And he goes, And you know, it wasn't too long either. And and his aide goes, well, you liked it then? He goes, no, I didn't like it. He failed. He failed to make us do anything that was great, to call us to greatness, to call us to the things that we should be. And this Sermon on the Mount is calling you and me to greatness, to great things. Church is more than coming in here. Church is more than taking the Lord's Supper. We'll call it the greatness. And we're going to study about that today. Um, I'd like to start with reading uh, Matthew chapter 4, if you flip up that screen there. Matthew 4, I'm going to kind of give you the background to this. And I hope, yeah, there we go. Okay. We're going to go right before the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7. You have the Beatitudes, and then you have from, like, verse 12 to middle of chapter 6, how people are supposed to treat each other. And then there's going to be some great stuff towards the end of the chat, uh, sermon on the Mount about how God treats us. If you want to get over anxiety, you want to know how much you're loved, you come and listen to Tyler. I'm giving him a little bit of a commercial there. Okay, let's go. Um, Matthew 4. Verse 23, Jesus went out throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and the people brought to him all the people who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed. And he healed them, large crowds from Galilee and the capias That's the ten cities around Jerusalem. uh, uh, And Judea. And the regions around the Jordan followed him. Now here we're getting into the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the large crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. It's kind of the opposite of what we do. I'm standing. He said. And then over in verse um, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Then here's a section on salt and light. You are the salt of the earth but as the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot. You are the light of the world A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. And then in verse 43 through the end of the chapter, and this is what we're really getting to here, guys. He had me uh, to preach on, on loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, uh, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends the rain to the righteous and the unrighteous, If you love those that love you, what reward have you? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only the the people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's going to take divine help. It's going to take inspiration from God to to do this. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow after me. If you're looking it up, Donnie, it's 1038, I think. Um, Pick up your cross and follow after me. That's not natural for us. It's not. It's totally not natural. So it's going to take divine help. And the way we get that divine help is through our friends through other Christians, but more than anything through prayer to God and and having a deep relationship with God. We're gonna go into some deep things here, guys. This isn't just surface Christianity. This This is deep stuff. I'll tell you a story. It'll be short. I love being around boats. I have always been around boats. I don't know what it is with me, if you wanna know the truth. I was, when I was little, I was carrying boats. When I was a little bit older, My father had me on a boat. We were always in the water and always on boats. And you guys have been to the coast and you've seen these marinas and it's just a big solid bunch of white boats out there. And most of the time they're in the marina. They're just sitting there. They're all tied up. Maybe on the weekends there's people having parties on the dock parties and that kind of stuff. And during the day on Saturday and Sunday, they're out, you know, they're out by the coast. They're out there coasting around, sailing around or motoring around, having a good time. But if you take a boat, five miles offshore there's less boats you take a boat 10 miles offshore you're going to see fewer boats and now you take a boat 50 miles offshore and all of a sudden you know what there's no boats out there except for container ships and cruise ships there's none out there and you know what you look at your depth finder and it goes 999 feet and all of a sudden boom the depth finder goes clear it's because you just hit the continental continental shift shift shelf and you know what? It may be 10,000 feet deep. We're going into some deep water today. We're going into some deep water. But we're going to where it's good. This is good. This is good stuff. When you get out in deep water, this is good stuff. There was one time we were sailing. We've been sailing for days. And we had to take it. We were getting kind of smelly, if you want to know the truth. We had to take a bath. And when you're offshore, water is a very, very precious thing. So we'd jump overboard, wash up, come in on, on, on deck and then rinse off with, with fresh water because it's, uh, it's, salt water's kind of sticky. Anyway, I jumped in and I realized I'm in 12,000 feet of water. I have not got no clue what's below me. That scared me. But you know what? When, it, when we come to become Christians, we're going to have to have faith because we're gonna be in some deep water and God is gonna ask us things that seem very unnatural. And this is one of them right here. The world's gonna to say to you, love yourself, love yourself. Self-esteem is really, really important. Love yourself, you gotta love yourself. And they will probably end it there. Other religions will say love your neighbors. But Christ is saying right here, not only love yourself, Not only love your neighbors, love your enemies. How do you do that? But if you and I, if you and I limit this, we are limiting the very gospel of God. We are. This is what the, when I got to studying this, I'm thinking, oh man, this is gonna be tough. You know what it turned out to be? That this is the very gospel of God. This reveals what God has done for you and for me. When we were at our very worst, our very worst, when we were his enemy, he died for you. Second Corinthians, I think it's five, might be eight, says God working through Christ was redeeming people back to him. And that's the underlying issue of loving your enemies. It's loving, understanding how much God loves you. And if you can understand how much God loves you, at that very moment, Romans 5, verse 8 would say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the very worst of your moments, God went to the cross for you. And here he's trying to teach these people to be like him. And that's important. Now, When I was studying this, I was looking at this, and it says, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those. I tried to want to wiggle out of this thing. I wanted to wiggle out. I go, yeah, but what about this group? What about these guys? I kept looking in there. I got to find that in there. It's got to be in there somewhere. I can't love everybody, can I? And any kind of he said, "Yeah, you love your enemies. That is so contradictory to what, what the world is about. But that's what we're about. That's what we are is about. And you want to know what's going to make the difference. It's not going to be it's not going to be the bumper stickers, it's not going to be our bumper stickers. People will read them. they won't change them. We'll not change them. It's not going to even be our t shirts. That's not going to do it. It's not going to be how many books you got in your, Christian books you got in your libraries. That's not going to do it. It's going to have to be something radical. Something radical. And what radical is, is loving your enemies. That's what he says to do. And that's what we have to do. Now, at this point, I'm in studying this and I'm thinking, yeah, but. What about sin? What about sin anyway? How do we deal with that? What about sin? Are you, are, are you letting everybody off the hook here? You've got to remember who, who wrote this. Who was, who, was talking? who was talking here in the Sermon on the Mount? Christ, do you think he took sin serious? He took it more serious than anybody. He knew exactly what sin was. He knew exactly how evil it was. He knew exactly how it twists people and forms them into terrible situations and puts people, how sinners treat sinners. It's amazing how sinners treat sinners versus how God treats sinners. So Jesus knew exactly about sin. Have you ever been going down Turkey Creek Canyon and you're going into Denver and it's very still down there and there's a blanket of smog? You ever been doing, ever seen that? It's just a gray blanket of smog, and you and I are up above it, and we're looking down at it, and we going, oh, jeez, I've got to hold my breath for four days. And you go down into it, and you know what? You don't even notice it. You're just in the middle of it. That's the way sin is. That's the way sin is. We're so, we're so, it's like, like dust. It, it affects us so much, and Christ knew that. And at the very same moment, he said, you uh, love your enemies. The next thing I want to talk about a little bit is that if we don't understand this, we minimize the gospel altogether. We minimize what Christ has actually done for us because we're limiting. We're limiting our love towards other people and we're trying to limit the gospel, his love, towards all people. So it's, it's, a, it's important that you and I understand this, loving our enemies so that we can understand the full extent of Christ, loving Christ. I want to go back for a, a little bit. Um, and I, want to, I want to look at the uh, situation here on, on this. That's why I had, we were reading um, chapter 4. I want to read chapter 4. Well, I don't need to read it. You guys remember it. Here's the situation. I want you to be with these guys sitting on a hill now, Okay. Now you're back, in, you're back near Jerusalem. You're sitting on a hill with all these, these Jewish folks, these Israelites, and you're sitting there with them. Before that, you've heard that he's healing people all over the place. He's making people stand up and walk that were, were twisted and formed and, and sick and pain, and, and he's healing all these people. You know what that was? And then he's talking about the kingdom right there. That is the visual, that's the visual sign of restoration. He's healing these people that were twisted and sick and ill. And you know what he's doing? It's the visual sign of the kingdom. And now, right now, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, you know what? The kingdom's coming. You know what they wanted? For 140 years or so, the Romans had occupied Israel. And here's this guy coming up and saying, "I'm going to teach you about the kingdom." And you know what they wanted? They wanted to be part of the justice. We want part. We want to be part of our kingdom and kicking these guys out. That's what we want. And you know what Jesus said? When they persecute you, you love them. You love them. That's the power of the kingdom. That's the power of the kingdom. And that's the power of God loving us at our very, very worst. Now I tell a story, and I I, might have told it here once or twice. There's a story about a, a guy on Skid Row. He's an alcoholic, and he's sitting down there with all his buddies. He's sitting there, and he's telling everybody what a big tycoon he used to be used to be, that well, before I was on this bottle, man, I, I was a big shot. I had all the things I wanted. And they were, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, have another swig of the bottle. And up down the, down the street, here comes a big fancy car. This guy gets out of it. He's got a $5,000 suit on. He's all dressed up. Shoes are shined. And, and he goes, see that guy down there? I used to work with that guy. I know that guy. Well, all these other guys sitting there going, oh, yeah? Well, why don't you go down and say hello? And he's going, what am I going to do? I don't know this guy from Adam. He gets up. He walks down there and he goes, mister, I don't want anything from you, nothing. I just want you to shake my hand, pretend like you know me. This guy was smart enough to look up, <clears throat> sees those guys over there, and their eyes are about as big as doorknobs now, right? He looks over there and sees those guys, He throws his arms around them, and he goes, why, where have you been? I have missed you all over the place. I love you. And he grabbed them and gave him a big hug in his old, filthy old clothes. And these guys are on, over there looking they're going looking at each other like, oh, my gosh, I never could, can't believe it. You know what? That's exactly, exactly what Christ did for you. Exactly. At your very worst, when you were an enemy, he goes, you're mine. You're mine. And that's what he did. So as we go on here, so here, here, here's the scene. These guys are up on this hill. And Jesus is talking to them, and he's saying, you know what? Here's all these miracles, and this is the, the, visual, the visual response to the kingdom. I'm going to restore everything. And now he comes to them, and he goes, you know what? Now I'm going to restore the teaching of the Old Testament. And you've read the, you've read the Sermon on the Mount enough to know. He goes, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. I am restoring the message of the kingdom of God. And now what you and I are reading is right here is restoring the message of the kingdom of God. Um, and what's the motivation for this whole thing? The motivation is if we look at the text He'll say, but I tell you, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. You know what? The Lord blesses everybody. But he says one thing here that's really important. He says that, I, that you may be children of God. There was that picture right there of a hand and a father's hand. You know what, Cal, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I might. When I look at you, you know what? I see your dad. I do. And you know what's happening? I'm not looking at your dad, but you know what's happening right now with your dad? He's proud of that. He is. Do you know when you reflect Christ how proud God is of you. He's in a dusty old sinful world when you are reflecting Christ, how God is pleased with you. It's unbelievable how much he is. And, and then he goes on, he says, and for the tax collectors, you're, you're no, if you love the people that love you, you're no different. I lived in a neighborhood that was full of mafia people. You know what? They love their families. They loved their families, but these were wicked guys, man. These are wicked guys, but they loved their families. He says, what, are, what difference is that of you? I wonder if there was any, I, when I read this and I'm sitting there thinking, putting myself up there on that hill, listening to Christ, I was wondering if there was any Roman soldiers there. If they were in the middle of it, and I wondered about that quite a bit. It could have been but you and I are to love one another and love our enemies and that the reason is because God loves our enemies too. If you and I were, um, if you and I were to look at how the stru- structure of the New Testament is written, whenever there's a, uh, a, a thing like um, you know love your enemies, he gives you a reason why in Romans chapter chapters 1 through the entire first 11 verses of or first 11 chapters of Romans God will talk about the great systematic theology of of God of grace and mercy and atonement and all these things and then right in the very middle of the book well not quite in the middle but after the 11th chapter chapter 12 verse 1 there's the very first word is therefore because christ has done all this for you the word comes up therefore and here's a good way to study the bible whenever you see a therefore you always ask what's it there for what's it there for and from verse chapter 12 verse 1 through the end of the book of romans he'll talk about therefore since christ has done all this for you therefore you be a living sacrifice and he'll talk about how we should treat each other people treat each, other, each others, each and that's what that is and that's what he's saying here because christ is uh the rain falls on the good and the evil therefore at the very bottom of that verse it says therefore be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect you and i are to strive for that now that's that's a tough. That's a tough nut to crack. I'll be honest with you. You might have some enemies. Um, you might have people that don't like you, that have hurt you badly. But you gotta let that kind of stuff go. Pray about it. You gotta let it go. Otherwise, it'll. You know how it is. It'll eat you like ass. It'll keep you up at night. There's an old story. Now I don't know. Anybody in here know Hebrew? All right. Well, then I'll tell you about this. Somewhere in the middle of Genesis, Adam comes in from the field and he looks at Eve and he goes, You know what? Adam is only 900 years old. This was 450 years after. He says, For 450 years, I've held a grudge against you. And she looks over at him and goes, You know what? For the last 450 years, you couldn't keep this farm going and I used to live in the Garden of Eden. I'm really mad at you and I'm holding a grudge against you. So the bottom line is don't hold grudges for 450 years, okay? Just don't do it. Let them go, let them go. The, the Proverbs would say don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it go. Forgive people. And then, then pray for them. It's very, very difficult To be praying for somebody and still be angry at them—it really is, and that's what—that's why he said that, isn't it? Okay, so we have that, and now I'm going to go to um, the book of John, John chapter 13. This is the Lord's Supper, which we just took. John, wait a minute—that's Acts. John 13. It was the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his hour had come for to leave the world and go to his father. Having loved his own, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The the Greek word there is to the uttermost, to the very maximum amount that he could love these guys right here. He loved them to the uttermost. Sometimes I write an email or a note to my daughters and I say, I love you like crazy. What does that mean? It means I'm crazy about you. I love you like mad, just like mad. That's exactly what the Lord did right here for these 12. Well, who are these 12 guys anyway? What's so special about them? Well, let's think about these 12 guys. They'd been with them for three years. They saw them raise people from the dead. They saw miracles. They listened to sermons on the mount, all this stuff. Well, one of them was named Thomas. You know, that? I ain't going to believe this until I see it. Hmm. Another one was Peter. Right when Christ was alone, what did He do? I don't know that guy. I, nah, I don't. Not me. I don't have anything to do with this stuff. And one of them sold Him, betrayed Him, and sold Him. Jesus knew that. And what did He do right there? He loved them to the end. That evening meal was <clears throat> in process. The devil entered into Judas. Uh, go on. And Jesus knew that his Father would put all things under his power, and that he would come from God, and would be returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garments, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then down um, later on here. Let's see. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, You have called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is why I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash my feet. (laughs) That's not what he says. He didn't say that. He said you should wash each other's feet, not his feet. It would be an honor to wash Christ's feet. He said you wash each other's feet. These guys, these guys right here, these guys, the ones that he loved the other most, the ones that had watched everything he had done and then... Every one of them ran. Every one of them ran. He loved him. If we're going to make a difference in this world, we've got to make a difference to the point that it's visible. Just like those miracles were visible, our lives have got to be so spiritual that it needs to be visible. In whatever circumstance you're called into, you might be persecuted for it. I'm not going to tell you you're not. As a matter of fact, in verse 11 and 12, he said, Blessed are those that are persecuted because so persecuted they the prophets before me. You will be. You want to stop a conversation? I'll tell you how to stop a conversation. You know what? I am madly in love with Christ. I am madly in love with Christ. When I was an insurance guy, you go to a party or something. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I sell insurance. Boom, that's the end of that conversation. (laughs) You want to know something else? You start talking, sticking up for the Lord, it's going to make you enemies. It's going to make you enemies. It will. Look what they did to Christ. Look what they did to his apostles. But don't fear. Christ's there to help you out. That's about the lesson I got today, guys. Um, Show, show that other slide. We that last slide. Here we are. He's got our hands. We got to keep going. We got to we got to launch into the deep, guys. Christianity's more than singing. It's more than Lord's Supper. It's a changed spiritual life that is deep. Oh, I'm also supposed to. Okay, one more thing. I actually, that wasn't all of the text that I was supposed to teach. I was actually supposed to teach, um, and I'll get over there, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Okay, listen to this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I didn't get to preach on that. So Tyler's going to come back, and he's going to ask, how was that sermon? And you're going to go, I can't say anything about it. I've got to keep quiet about it. We'll, we'll fix him. So, All right, you guys. Thanks very much. If you need the prayers of the congregation or anything, get with one of the elders. Get with somebody you love. And let's move on closer to the Lord. Thanks again for your time.